who here is all about New Year's resolutions? Does anyone here set them? A couple people? All right. Well, I'm with the camp that doesn't really set them. Like, my father-in-law is like, Kev, you should always have these five-year goals and yearly goals. And he sits down and writes them in his journal. And like I shared with you last week, I'm on the side of this year I just want to maintain. Want to maintain my weight, want to maintain like my energy, want to maintain where I'm at. It's very low goals. It's depressing, but each year it does get harder. <laughs> so last year, though, I actually did have some goals, whether I wrote them down or not. Goal number one was to maintain. And what it simply meant was, okay, I need to have less sugar and more vegetables, less Netflix and more exercise. And I'd like to say that I did it for about three days until I saw chocolate chip cookies and I realized life without chocolate chip cookies isn't worth living. So gave up on those goals pretty quick. Although I do have to um, thank Cal and Nick for trying to get me back into the gym and exercising with them. Although they're in their 20s, I'm in my 40s, and I have been in a lot of pain ever since. <laughs> But guess what? It's a new year. We get a fresh start. It's 2024, and I've got some goals. Like, I want to sleep seven hours a night. Like, parents, that sounds great, right? Um, I, not only that, I want to spend more time with my kids, um, and not just in front of a screen, although playing Mario Wonder is, has been a blast this week with my kids. But I have financial goals that I've set I have some professional goals that I set. I want to read more. I just want to be more intentional with my time. But as I was trying to actually think through this list of goals, I started to get a little bit overwhelmed because the question that hit me was, when am I going to do all of this? Like, I want to go on trips and I want to do this and I want to pay off debt and I want to, and I'm like, okay, like this is, this takes time and this takes time. So how am I going to do this? Because one of the conversations my wife Amanda and I have is that it seems like there's so many things to do, but not enough time to do it. Like life is just on fast forward. And I don't know about you, but 2023 just flew by. And I can't believe we're already here in 2024. But sometimes I feel like our family car as we're preparing to go on a road trip. So every summer, my parents have a cottage up north by North Bay. And we have two kids, not a very big family, but we have a car, and two years ago, we actually borrowed this trailer from friends of ours just to fit in all the junk that we take with us. Like, it's like, well, it's, it's not enough to just fill the trunk. We've got to now add even more with us. So what I want you to notice, though, is that if we didn't have that sunroof in the top in my picture and Amanda's, there wouldn't be sunlight in the car. Like that is packed in there in addition to what's all in the trailer, what was necessary for the trip. And why is that? It's because it was overstuffed, overloaded, and our rear end was dragging a little bit. And to be honest, that's how life feels sometimes, that it's overstuffed, overloaded, and my rear end is dragging a little bit. I'm exhausted. I actually met with Bren Stacy, our church planning director, the other day, and I told him, I'm like, I am utterly exhausted. And he's like, yeah, you look it. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I wasn't quite expecting that response. But here's what I know, and I'm not alone. Harvard Business School says that seven out of 10 people surveyed said that their life was characterized by being busy 
or very busy. That's 70%. But I didn't need Harvard to tell me that because 10 out of 10 people that I've talked to and said, hey, how are you doing? They usually say, yeah, I'm doing good, but man, am I busy. And we wear it like this badge of honor. So you can imagine my confusion then when I read Jesus' words in Matthew 11, where he says this. Jesus says to those of us who are busy, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's like he knows something about us. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And when I read that, it sounds like chapstick on a bitterly cold day. Like, it's like, whew, that would be nice. I'll give you rest for your souls. And he goes on and he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it sounds so great. Come, follow me. Your life will be easy and light and you'll be full of rest. There's just one problem with it. And the problem is I don't always feel that way. Instead, sometimes I feel overstuffed, overloaded, and my rear end is dragging a little bit. But what Jesus is doing is he's offering us an alternative to a different way of life. One of the things we love about the new year is that it's a fresh start. Okay, it's a new year, clean slate. But what Jesus is offering is for us to actually start fresh. And that's why I titled this message, Start Fresh, How to Live Rested in an Exhausting World. So Heavenly Father, help us draw near to you this morning. Take our next step to you, and may we encounter your rest. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So let's start fresh, and what better way to do that than to start in God's Word? And we're going to start at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. So you're welcome to pull up your, the Bible app on your phone or use a Bible in front of you if you want to follow along. I'll also have it on the screen. But Genesis 1, God says this to us. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and he called the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. And goes it goes on to day two and day three and day four and day five. God created. He saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning. And then day six, it says this in verse 27. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God saw all that he had made, but it wasn't just good. It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Genesis 1, the account of the creation of the world, it's actually written in the form of a poem. And as you hear it, you can actually pick up on the rhythm and repetition of the poem because there's, there is rhythm and there is repetition in Genesis 1. Why? It's because repetition shows us what's important. Repetition shows us what's important. Repetition shows us what's important if you're picking up on the joke. But you already knew that because 
You see, when we pick up our phone and we see one missed call from our significant other, we think, okay, they wanted to get a hold of us. They didn't leave a message. I'll give them a call back uh, a bit later when I have some time. But then when you pick up your phone and you see that you have 11 missed calls within about seven minutes, you realize, okay, something has happened. Like, what's going on? You've either got a stage five clinger on your hands if you're dating, or if you're married, you're thinking, okay, I need to call them back right now. And why does this matter? Because repetition shows us what's important. And there's repetition in Genesis 1. It says that God created, God created, God created. Then he saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. And then evening and morning, evening and morning, evening and morning. But there's something different about this that I didn't pick up on myself. Someone else actually had to show this to me. It says that there was evening and there was morning. But that's not how the day typically works in our mind. That the day doesn't start in the evening. We usually say morning and evening. So as I understand it, the day starts in the morning. The first thing we do is we wake up, turn off the alarm clock, kind of stumble down, get our cup of coffee, shower, get cleaned up, head off to work. And we do this because we're starting our day. That's how the day works. We get up, we go to work. And when we finish our work, well, that's when we rest. If we finish everything, we rest. And if we don't finish everything, well, then we start carrying this stress. That's how we live. That's how the day works. There's morning and there's evening. But that's not what God says. He says there's evening, then there's morning. Because what God is doing is he's introducing us to an alternative rhythm for our lives. A rhythm that doesn't start with work, but a rhythm that actually begins with rest. And while that's cool, evening, morning, evening, morning, some of you might be thinking, tomato, tomato, who really cares? Well, let me tell you, if you're an Israelite, you cared. The Israelites back in the Old Testament, we, we see that Genesis was written down by Moses. Moses was an Israelite, born in Egypt and was raised in Pharaoh's household. He killed a man, he fled. God called him to go back to Egypt to deliver his people, the Israelite people, the Jewish people who'd become enslaved to the Egyptians, who were enslaved to Pharaoh. And he called Moses to do this, to bring them out of Egypt and to take them to the land that he had promised them. And so the first people who would be hearing Genesis were the Israelite people. And they were either enslaved in Egypt or they were wandering around in the wilderness just after leaving slavery. So this evening and morning actually matters because what did life look like when they were slaves? They literally built the empire that enslaved them. They helped make the roads that the, Egyptians are, are, the Egyptian armies traveled on. They helped build the monuments that declared Pharaoh's greatness. But most of all, they didn't do anything that grand. Most of all, what they did was they made bricks. And if you're a slave, the only question that really mattered that you were focused on is how many bricks did you make today? Because that was your task. But in Genesis 1, God has a message for his people, the Israelite people, and here's his message. He says, I'm not Pharaoh, I'm different. Your life is not a life of a slave. It's going to be different because I have a different rhythm for you. You're going to live 
differently because your value is not in what you do, not in how many bricks you make each day. Because your days are not going to start when the sun rises. Your days will start with rest because your value comes from what I say. So what God says is, I have a different rhythm for you to live as my people. It doesn't start with work. It starts with rest. And why is this so important? Because to rest is to trust that what God has done is enough. To rest is to trust that what God has done is enough. And aren't you glad that thousands of years later, our lives don't look like slaves? Aren't you glad that we don't make bricks for Pharaoh? Aren't you glad that through all of the technological advances, through all of our social progression, our world is different? Aren't you glad that we don't go to our phones and check them 12 times an hour to see if we might have missed a message from our boss or missed a message from someone else? Aren't you glad that we don't go to social media to see how many likes we got in order to tell us how valuable we are? Aren't you glad that we don't get our value from how many things we cross off our to-do list, validating whether it was a good day or not? And if you haven't picked up on my sarcasm just yet, let me throw in another one. Aren't you glad that the first question we ask a person isn't, so what do you do for a living? How many bricks do you make? Even when we talk to our kids, we say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, what kind of bricks are you going to make? How many bricks do you want to earn? And I don't know about your kids, but my kids want to be these social media influencers. That's all the rage. It's kind of funny because we don't really let them on social media, so I don't know how they'll get there. But when we ask them, they want to be Mr. Beast. In fact, Landon had a writing exercise in school recently, and he wrote a letter to Mr. Beast, and he's still waiting for the response. Or... You might ask them and they want to be Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. And why is that? Well, because these guys make the most bricks. So they must be the most valuable, right? But here's the problem. To live this way is exhausting because you'll never make enough. And here's the crazy thing. It's not Pharaoh that makes us do it. We do it to ourselves. Like we start picking up these bricks and start making these bricks all by ourselves. It's like, hey, do you want to take that promotion that takes you away from your family that's already well provided for just so you can have a better title? So you can maybe make a few more bricks, feel better about yourself. Do you want to sign up little Johnny for one-on-one -on -one private lessons in whatever sport or academia or musical instrument you want? Because, well, we see a lot of potential in him, even though he's four months old. <laughs> Do you want to put the pressure on yourself so that your house always looks like it could be in an HGTV ad? Do you want to start a side hustle, even though you don't need the money, but maybe you'll get a bit more value from strangers saying, hey, I want you to do this for me. Let's do that as well. But Jesus says, I have a better way. I have a better way to live than this. And that better way is we're going to put the brick down and we're going to start fresh. We're going to start our day with rest because to rest is to trust that what God has done is already enough. And I need this message just as much as anybody else because I often struggle with the feeling like I'm not doing enough, especially for our church. Like with a church plant, 
there's just, it's a blank canvas and there's so many opportunities and you just look around the community and we could be involved in so many different outreach things and minister to so many different people groups and age groups. And I'm often wrestling like, are we doing enough? Am I doing enough? Or what if my message isn't good enough? What if it doesn't connect with people? What if you don't like it? What if you don't like me? And have you ever had those questions? And not about me, don't <laughs> but yourself. But that's why I've also created an encouragement folder. I actually have a folder. I started this when I was a youth pastor out West. And anytime I would receive a card with encouragement or even an email, I would file it away because on the days that I'm like, oh man, am I doing enough? I see Eugene agreeing too. It's like, am I doing enough? You pull that out and you realize that, okay, these, these things have happened along the way. And sometimes even just notes from Amanda when she puts a post-it on like the bathroom mirror that just says, I love you, I'm proud of you. Just to have that reminder that while I'm trying so hard to do everything for her and my family and our church, sometimes I just forget that who I am is already enough. You see, I'm often trying so hard to win something that's already been freely given to me. And it makes me wonder how many of us are trying so hard to win something that's already been freely given to us. Matthew 3 is an incredible story about Jesus. Here's what it says. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. This is one of three times that God audibly spoke. And the father is speaking audibly to the son, Jesus. But what makes this story so powerful is where it is in the gospel. It's in Matthew chapter three. It's the first story that we have as Jesus as an adult. And you have God the father saying to his son, you are my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. I delight in you. Before Jesus had done anything. Why? because God loved him. It's not God loved him because, it's because God loved him. And the same is true for each one of us. God loves you. It's not he loves you because, it's just he loves you. Which means this, what God has done for us, let's call it God's to-done list, is more important than our to-do list. What God has done is more important than what we need to do today. What God has done is more important than your to-do list. And here's what God has done for you. Before you ever get out of bed in the morning, he created you. He looked upon you before you'd done anything. And he said, you were very good. God created you. He saved you. He, he went to the cross to pay a, a payment, to pay a debt that you could not pay. He saved you. God healed you, he adopted you, he comforted you, he called you, he gifted you, he goes before you, he is with you. What God has done for you is more important than anything you will do, which means this, maybe, just maybe, because of what God has done, we can put down our to-do list, we can put down our bricks, And we can rest, trusting that what God has done is enough.
Before we had done anything, God says this, I have a different rhythm for your life. It's not a rhythm that starts with work. It's a rhythm that starts with rest. Why? Because I want you, my people, to know before you ever get out of bed in the morning, I've already done enough for you. What God has done is more important than our to-do list. But I want to be really clear. This is not an anti-work message. It's not an anti-work message because God is not anti-work. Instead, he's offering us a new rhythm for our life. So if we are his children, if we're followers of Jesus, our new rhythm starts in the evening and then it goes to morning. It starts with rest and then it goes to work. Rest is what prepares us to work. He's created us for it. He's gifted us for it, and he's called us to it. So it's not an anti-work message. And sometimes we think that rest and work are enemies, like they just can't get along, but they're actually designed to go together. Rest is what prepares us for work. And it's just that when we go to work in the morning, we don't go to work as people trying to earn someone's approval. We're not trying to prove to ourselves that, or anyone else that we have value. No, we're, we're not working to earn more rest. We're going to work from a place of rest. And we're working from God's approval, not for it. So let me give you something practical because it's gonna be a little bit fuzzy because I want you to wrestle with this as we step into the new year. But this year, this week, even today, I want you to rest. And what I mean by it being a little fuzzy is, well, what is rest? It's going to look different for each one of us. But rest is bigger and broader than what most of us think. Rest is whatever focuses us on the goodness of God. Did you catch in the Genesis story that humans aren't made until day six? And on day seven, it says that God rested meaning that the very first day after humans were even created, it was a day of rest to enjoy the goodness of God's creation. He didn't start humans at the beginning and put them to work and then said, okay, you've done enough. He did it all and then created us and it began with rest. Rest is whatever focuses us on the goodness of God. So rest can be sleep, it's like, woo, amen, I'll take that one this afternoon. Rest can be a worship song that focuses us on the goodness of God. Rest can be a good meal with people that we love. Rest can be spending time in God's word. Rest can be laughing with friends. Rest can be playing golf with buddies. It can be playing Mario Wonder with our kids. It can be a walk outdoors, being reminded of God's goodness. It can be sex with a spouse, which suddenly it's like, okay, I'm more interested in rest now. Like we got to go uh, explore the goodness of God. <laughs> rest can be prayer. Rest can be taking a trip with people that you love. Rest is whatever focuses us on the goodness of God. And God has called us and created us with this rhythm that starts with rest. So how do we do it? Well, there's three different rhythms. There's a daily rhythm that starts with rest. And maybe for you, it's opening God's word before you go to bed or when you wake up in the morning. Maybe it's sitting down at dinner and having conversations of substance with your family. Maybe it's walking the dog, which you already do, but now you're being a little more intentional about 
taking in the goodness of God. Maybe it's just simply three minutes before you get out of bed because you have to go wrangle your kids where it's just like, okay, I'm going to focus on the goodness of God because that's all you have. There's a daily rhythm of rest as followers of Christ. And not only that, but there's a weekly rhythm of rest. In the Old Testament, they called it the Sabbath. Sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And it was an extended period of time to simply slow down and enjoy the goodness of God, to have fun, to laugh, to rest. And it's not a coincidence that we have church once a week on the first day of the week. Why? Because it's one of the easiest ways and best ways for us to establish the rhythm of rest in our lives. As we come to church, we're reminded of the goodness of God, both in the world around us and in our individual lives. And then we have a seasonal rhythm of rest. In the Old Testament, there's a lot of feasts and festivals that they're celebrating, and they happen every single year. And why? Because there's seasons to rest and enjoy God's goodness. Sure, you celebrate the work that went before it, but you also prepare. You start from a place of rest for the next season. Sometimes life is going to be a lot of work. It's going to get busy, and that's okay. But we start from a place of rest. We put our trust in the fact that God has already done enough for us. So I just want to go back once more to this family photo. Because it might be hard to tell, but there's actually a couple different smiles in these photos. There are the smiles of my wife and my kids, and then there's my smile. Now, my smile's a little forced. Because usually at this point of the trip, I've just packed everything. I've got it all worked in. And I'm kind of like, did I remember everything? And do I have everything in order? And then Amanda's like, hey, we're taking a picture. Smile. And I'm just like, okay. So mine's kind of like a tired, exhausted one. Did I get everything? But her smile and the kids' smiles, they're just loving it. They're like, we are on vacation. Like, we are ready to go. Those are not the smiles of someone who's trying real hard. Those are the smiles of people who are trusting real big. They're trusting that everything they need for the trip has been packed for them. They're trusting that the price of the trip has already been paid for them. They're trusting that I'm going to take them to the right destination. And you see, here's the thing. In 2024, we're all going to be going down the road, God willing. And the question that we have to answer is, which smile is going to be on our face? The smile of someone who's, who's trying real hard, trying to hold it all together? Or the smile of someone who's trusting real big, knowing that what God has done is already enough? You see, what Jesus is saying when he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest, he's giving us an invitation, an invitation to a different rhythm of life. A rhythm that doesn't start with work, but starts with rest. A rhythm of life that reminds us of who we are in God and what he's done for us. He's given us an invitation, not just to a fresh start this year, but to start fresh. And if you ask me, that is a great way to start. So which smile are you going to have for the ride? If you'll pray with me, Heavenly Father, thank you so much as we step out into 2024 
or as we just step out into our Monday and Tuesday, that you are with us, you are for us, and that you love us oh so much. And as we continue in an attitude and spirit of prayer, just I wonder how many of you have just been trying really hard and you're at the point where you're saying, you know what? I'm ready for a different rhythm of life. Well, I have good news. It's available through Jesus and trusting that he's already done what's necessary. So if you're ready to start fresh, would you just raise your hand to simply indicate you're saying, I'm, I'm ready to start fresh. I want to start fresh for 2024. I want to live out of who God has created me to be. Father, thank you so much that you offer us a different rhythm of life, that our value is not based upon what we do, but based upon what you've already done for us. Help us to trust you, God. Help me to trust that what you say about me is true and that what you say about every person listening to this message is true. Help us to start with rest. I pray that everyone listening to this message would recognize that we all have the opportunity for a fresh start in Jesus. And not only that, but I would even go as far as to say that every one of us needs a fresh start in Jesus because we can't do it on our own. We need you. Every hour, we need you. And God, the offer that you give us for a fresh start isn't just a clean page, but it's a new life in Jesus. So I pray that as we step into a new year, that we would all say, I'm ready to trust God with my life. I'm ready to receive his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy. I'm ready to turn from my sin. I'm ready to follow Jesus and put my hope and my trust in him. So Father, we give you our lives. We thank you for everything that you have done for us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.